As Ben said, we are in a new series called March Gladys, and so I have the, the pleasure of kicking that off. And so today, what I want to talk about is having a prosperous heart. So before we get into uh, specifics, manca- mechanics, and all the, all the how-tos or, or, or what-tos of, of giving, I actually want to talk about our heart posture before God as we talk about money and possessions. And so even the mention of money and possessions and the kingdom of God, for many of us, often we have a visceral response, an emotive or an internal response that can oftentimes we can, we can actually pay attention to. And I want to encourage us to do that. And so um, because we're in church, because we're talking about money, because we're talking about God, um, many times we have responses such as racing thoughts. Or maybe it's fidgety legs. Maybe there's a lot of shit. Now, nobody is going to judge anybody else or like notice what everybody else is doing, right? You need to be in, present and in your own body and be aware of how you're, you're thinking and responding to and posturing yourself to messages such as these. Um, it might even be mental arguments you're already having with me right now about how you spend your money and why you need to do X or Y with your money. So again, no judgment. I just want to invite us into becoming aware of how we think as we talk about money, okay? Um, And as we become more and more aware of this, um, internally, we're going to become more and more aware of it externally, how we look at and think about money and how it affects our lives. So Tish Harrison Warren uh, wrote in the New York Times here recently for uh, uh, Ash Wednesday. It was the kickoff to Lent this past week. She wrote an article about how Ash Wednesday forces us to confront death, but also offers hope. And in it, there's this really beautifully written portion about money and possessions and how it affects us. And I want to read that portion to us today. She says this, a fascinating 2014 study looked at the most difficult places in America to live based on factors such as life expectancy and income level, and then compared common internet search terms there with those from the easiest and wealthiest places to live. What they found was that those in the hardest places spend time thinking about health woes and religion. People in America's easiest places think about jogging and cameras. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? People in America's easiest places to live think about jogging and cameras. On a global scale, this divided reality is even clearer. Uh, 2008 Pew study showed that, quote, generally there is a clear relationship between wealth and religiosity. In rich nations, fewer people view religion as important than in poor nations. People who live in the world's poorest nations almost unanimously said religion was important to them, while people in Western Europe and in other wealthy nations said it is less significant. There are myriad reasons that wealth might dampen faith, but one is that those of us who are privileged and comparatively comfortable can insulate ourselves from death, suffering, and our own mortality in in ways others cannot. Whether one is a churchgoer or not, when our bodies are strong, our stomachs are full, and we have high-speed internet and craft beer, questions of eternity seem less pressing. So we know that there is a connection between wealth and religiosity, and somewhat of an inverse relationship. The more wealthy we become, the less we think about eternity and God. 
She, in, in her article, Pastor Harrison Warren, quotes from Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, the writer says, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So what we know is that while we're thinking about money and possessions and God, this is not a new problem. This is an ancient problem that we've been trying to wrap our heads and our hearts around for quite a while. The question is, how do I use money and not lose my faith? That is a tremendously important question for us. And it just so happens Jesus talks to this issue. I think I've read one out of nine or one out of 11 times of his teaching, somewhere right in there, depending on how, how you draw the line about, like, is Jesus talking about money here or possessions here? Or what? It's just a lot. It's second only to the, the amount of times he specifically and directly addresses the kingdom of God. Money can have a grip on our heart like no other thing. The issue of money touches what is held most dearly to us. Money itself means nothing. It's immoral. It's not good and it's not bad. You, you've heard it said, money is the root of all evil. That's not actually what Paul writes to Timothy. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a little bit different, right? We've been told money is evil. That's not true. Money is a tool, but it's the meaning that we've attached to money that is important. We've attached all kinds of meaning to money because of what it represents to us. It means power. It means the ability to buy things, to increase our comfort levels. It means being able to feed your family. It means being able to help someone else out. Money is power because of what it represents and what we're able or to do with it or not able to do without it. Sky Jatani said in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious? And this is a great book on the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll read from here in a minute. What If Jesus Was Serious? says this, quote, Money is an alluring master precisely because it provides the feeling and illusion of divine power. With money, we can control the world and comfort it to our will, conform it to our will. It allows us to provide for our needs and desires, overcome scarcity, and manipulate those around us. Wealth can isolate us from the challenges that others face. Money can create opportunities for those who possess it that are unavailable to those without it. In other words, it is, an, it is a very appealing alternative to trusting God. This is why it's important for us to keep the issue of money and possessions in front of us and to check in with ourselves and even how we're somatically uh, uh, processing it, how it affects even our body, our posture, while we're in church talking about money. Because that will actually show us, maybe to a greater degree even, of, uh, and, and help us be, be more consciously aware of even some of the buried thoughts about what we think about money. Okay? Jesus intends to restore money's neutrality to us. So we can right-size it in our hearts. And in this way, he can use us and the money and possessions that he's entrusted to us so his kingdom can be spread fully among the nations. Here's what he said, just one out of the many times that he talks about money. In Matthew 6, verse 19, and I'm reading from the NIV, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, 
where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is, I mean, that's the point of the whole message. We could probably go home. I can't say it any better than Jesus. No surprise to anyone here. Where our heart is, where our treasure is, there also will our heart be. And he continues, though. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, what you keep in front of you, what grabs your attention, all those things, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word for money there, that's a translation of a Greek word, mammon. And mammon was actually a god that people in that area worshipped. It was, a, it was this spiritual deity, mammon, that they made sacrifices to. So money is power, and it, 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 it uh, assumes the, the, the intent that we give it. These people would literally worship their money and give offerings to it so that uh, uh, favor would be on them and they could uh, accumulate more money and possessions. Now, we might, in the 21st century, in, in, in post-modern secular America, think, well, isn't that silly that they think money is something that can be worshipped? Oh, Really? Really, that's silly that people worshiped money 2,000 years ago. Because what do you call the world that we live in now? What do you call the thing that we live in now? Where people are, are happy if the, the graphs are up and to the right and happiness or sadness follows those trend lines. What do you call it? We call it retail therapy. When you get stressed and go on Amazon... And you know, two days, all I have to do is wait two days. Sometime, sometimes if I'm lucky, it's a day. I don't know how they do that here in Manhattan, Kansas, but they pull it off sometimes, and my thing can get here in one day. Or if I'm hungry, was that, I was getting my hair cut uh, this week, and, and we were talking about, she, uh, my, my hair cutter was from my stylist, I guess. I don't, I don't know what, you know, the, the young lady cutting my hair. I was talking about her parents. She lives like 30 minutes away, and like, like she had to describe, you know, it's a, it's a town where you describe the other towns around it, right? Like very small town here in, in, in Kansas. And how they have to plan, the, the, their, her parents have to plan ahead to order Pizza Hut. Because if enough people from their small town order Pizza Hut, um, they will deliver from Council Grove. That's how small of a town. And I go, dang it, last night I was debating my wife on whether or not we should order Instacart. Because we didn't want to drive five minutes to Walmart. What do you call that when we're so obsessed with our comfort and what our money can get us? And we have to be reminded, I, I don't, not everybody has it this easy around me. Jesus calls it the worship of mammon. When, when money determines your comfort, peace, and safety, that's mammon. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus is telling his followers that to spend all of their time earning money to either spend on all the toys and comforts that they want or to hoard it all away without ever helping anyone else is effectively inviting destruction into their lives. And to avoid this, to actually invest in kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, where none of that can touch what you put in God's hands. 
We want to be focused on the right things and have the right perspective on money, possessions, and our heart before God. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. Many well-meaning commentators have taken this scripture and the surrounding verses in the Sermon on the Mount, and they have said, and, and these are much, much smarter people than me, but I have a slight disagreement with them. Uh, they say Jesus doesn't actually expect us to live this way. He's just setting out a high bar, so it's revealed to us how much we need him. And I get that. My disagreement is that if Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by telling the parable of the man who built his house on the sand versus the man who built his house on the rock. And he says, those that do this are people like that build their house on on the rock and it can withstand. But people who just listen to my words and never put them into practice are like people that built their house on sand and it falls over. So Jesus, yes, there is a revelation of how much we need Jesus to walk according to the way of the kingdom. And Jesus actually expects us to do these things. So my question is, what if he actually meant there to be a way where your heart could be so open that your hands could be open and you live freely with what he puts in it and you live freely with what gets taken out? What if it's actually possible to live in such a way to maintain your peace and maintain your joy with whatever God decides to put in your hands in that moment? And your heart doesn't swell and it doesn't shrink depending on how many zeros are in your bank account. What if it was actually possible to live in America today and not have your heart swell by any of the toys that call to us perpetually as we scroll through our feeds? What if it's possible to live in such a way that you actually have capacity to give and to love and to serve the other people around you. And what's in your house or what you drive or in your bank account doesn't determine your worth at all. What if it's actually possible? And I think it is. I think that's exactly what Jesus meant by teaching us this way to live. Because this is how he lived, right? This is how he lived. He lived, he lived leaning into God's grace presuming on God's abundance and his love that his father had for him. And at any moment he could give freely and his heart didn't swell and it didn't shrivel based on any of that. That's how he lived. And that's the life that he invites us into as well. Okay. James K. A. Smith in his book, you are what you love. Just that title alone. I think we just could sit on that title for a while. You are what you love. He says this, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves, what pulls, what tugs at our heart. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. You can't think your way into new hungers. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. You can't think your way into that. I don't have a clever enough sermon to get you to remember three points that your, your life is going to be changed. But... The grace of God is available for us to follow in the way of Jesus, to practice this. And so our hearts are transformed into love. 
Now, the term kingdom can sometimes be an abstract and, and ambiguous term for us in the 21st century. We live in a constitutional democracy, not an autocratic monarchy, right? So to make this clear and real for us, we need to ask ourselves, not just are we living in the kingdom, but here are the real questions that Smith is getting at, that Jesus is getting at, and we have to allow ourselves to wonder for ourselves, is Jesus my supreme treasure? Does all of my value, success, and purpose find its meaning in him? Those are the things we need to sit in. Because where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Which means what you put your heart towards, your treasure is going to follow that. So if you can answer the question, is Jesus really my everything? then your life, your actions, your money, and your possessions are going to align behind that. But if you're scattered between many masters, many things having your attention, your money and possessions and your actions are going to be scattered, all of those other affections. Jesus is inviting us to align everything to him. If our heart swells when we have more money in our bank accounts then it will wither when it's absent. Another way to put this is that if we are more at peace when the stock market is headed up and to the right than when we experience the presence of Jesus, something is askew, something is misaligned. And hey, I get it. There are times where I, I, I use the Mint app and I pull it up and it's like I see the account balance and it's like, how is this going to work? And there are other times where I pull it up and it's like, whoa, how did all that get in there? And there, with that comes a little bit more, oh, okay. So I get it. And I think some of that is a reasonable reaction. However, if I do that, too, if I assign too much meaning for too long, then my attention and my affection is going to follow what makes me feel better and avoid what makes me feel worse, okay? So to get super practical, well, I have two verses and a quote and I hope we get super practical because I think we need that, right? Um, just take a deep breath too. Like, like this can feel weighty. So we just kind of, again, need to pay attention to what our bodies are doing when we talk about these things. And it may take... You know, it may just release something if you take a deep breath and leave it, leave it out. Let it out, okay? So, cultivating a healthy heart. Let's talk about three things. First, we need to walk in truth. Third John says this, to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. We need to be grounded in the truth of the gospel through Jesus Christ. There is no prosperity outside of Jesus. There is no heart prosperity. There is no financial prosperity. If you're a Christian, to be grounded in the gospel connected to Jesus Christ, that is what first, that's the first step towards prosperity. 
Okay? John is writing, this is uh, Jesus' best friend John, writing after, many, many decades after the resurrection. He's in charge of some churches in, in Asia Minor, and there's some false che- teachers that have infiltrated the truth, uh, the churches and tried to take people away, tried to sow discord and take people away from the teaching of the gospel. John is writing to one of his good, good friends and says, it does my heart well to know that you're still walking in truth after all these years, after all the ups and downs, all the persecution, after all the false teaching, after all the things trying to take the affection of your heart and, 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 and take it elsewhere. I'm so grateful and, and it brings no greater joy than to know my children are continuing to walk in truth. Now, what he says here, uh, he prays. He, there's this kind of like Greek letter opening. I, I hope you're doing well, basically, is what he's saying. But he, do, he takes it a step farther. He takes it in the kingdom direction. And it's not like, hey, it's nice to finally get around to writing you. I, I hope you're doing great. I hope your kids are doing great. It's, he actually connects this idea of um, good health and prospering to, to uh, his soul. And so in other words, walking in truth means that our soul is connected to Jesus. And when our soul, the, the inner part of our being, our mind, our will, our emotions, where, where we have choice and, and freedom to point it towards God or other things, to be pointed towards the gospel means that everything is aligned or everything is becoming in our, aligned in our lives. And we're a- actually able to walk in prosperity. Okay? So um, there was a few years ago when things were tight here at the church, at the well, and things were tight there uh, for in, in our family, and, and December was, was creeping later and later into the month, and uh, our bills were stacking up, and we made the church aware of our need, and uh, people really rallied around us and encouraged us, and it felt, it felt really good. Um, but it was sort of one of those like, how is Christmas happening this year? I'm, I'm not really sure about that. And so we prayed and, and we really committed to tithing and, and, and to really giving into the kingdom and, and making sure that that didn't drop off. But we just, we just weren't really sure. And I'm sure many of you have had those seasons. Um, so late one night, I think it was a, like a Friday night, cold of December, dark outside, and I get a text message from um, a, a young married woman who uh, was going to the church and she said, hey, check, check your front uh, porch. We dropped something off for you. And so um, they're cookies. Make sure you go get them so they're still warm. I'm like, ah, that's really nice. I love that my church is loving on, on, on us and, and uh, remembering our, our family in this time. And so I go to, to open up the, 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 the door, and uh, you know, there's this tin of cookies, and I pick it up. And on the top, there's an envelope. And in the envelope, she writes how her husband recently had, I think it was his grandfather had recently passed away, left them a little bit of an inheritance and how he was a pastor. And and, uh, uh, her husband watched him kind of traverse the ups and downs of church life. There's a check for $1,000 tucked inside the card. And I'm like, you know, like it's dark out. I got my robe on, but I'm like, thank God, like they had left and the neighbors were all asleep. You know, but I'm like, Oh my God, Christmas is coming early this year. You know, it's like, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I'm like, babe, we get new tires on the Jeep. It's going to be awesome. You know, like the whole thing, like lined up. It, it was an amazing feeling. Um, and then, and then I noticed myself over the next few weeks at church, like they would come to church. You know, I said, thank you. And we, it was just this great experience. And um, I'd see them at church and I, I would see them from afar and I would wave at them but I would like finding an excuse to go do something else. Like I just felt myself being awkward. Like I didn't know how to ex- exactly, it, it went beyond, 
not knowing how to express gratitude. I've already done that. It, what, what I realized is that I felt unworthy to receive that generosity from them. Like about the third time where they came in one door and I went out the other door, I remember thinking, something's not right here. Like these people love me, they've blessed me, and I, I just don't know why I can't be around them. I think something is broken inside me. And so I really had to do some, uh, some deep dive into my soul to ask God, like, why do I feel unworthy to receive a gift like this? And I realized, like, my meaning and purpose was in being able to give other people things and to actually receive something, like the size of my identity and meaning before God, I just did not feel worthy. And I had to do some growing, some repenting, and, and get over that and become, like, like, humble enough to be able to receive gifts from other people when I'd been used to being the one to giving and serving and loving. So we'll never be prosperous if we don't allow the truth of the gospel that we walk in to touch the inner parts of our lives, to actually transform our hearts so that we basically live this, let this orphan mentality behind us because we are actually children, sons and daughters of the king. Okay? So secondly, we need to protect our heart. We need to walk in truth we need to protect our heart. Proverbs 4.23, which is kind of like the Old Testament version of 3 John uh, uh, 2, says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to, to one's body. Above all else, guard your heart, and everything you do flows from it. So again, we need to be aware of the truth of the gospel and also protect our hearts as we are walking out these truths because there are messages that we receive. There, unlike any other time in human history, or have we, has humans been bombarded with advertising meant to make us feel like we're inadequate if we don't have this product If we don't wear this or drive this or buy this or sleep with this person, we will not be able to achieve fulfillment. That is the constant stream of accusation coming towards us. And to actually guard our heart, to protect our heart is of the utmost importance, especially of us that have kids and especially teens that are growing up on social media right now. They're being bombarded with inadequacy with how they don't measure up. And so we need to wash our minds with the truth of God's word to remind ourselves and to remind our, each other and to remind our kids that God is enough, that Jesus is enough, that there, if there are zero, zero dollars in our bank account and we can't even afford our phone bill, that Jesus is enough. And he loves us in the truth absolutely. And we don't need anything or anyone to bring the kind of fulfillment that only Jesus can give us. Okay? Because we, as adults, we're, as we look at our world and we see scarcity and famine and war and disease, there are questions that bombard us, maybe not as much from social media, but maybe news media, maybe streaming services that will accuse God before us. The questions that come to us is, uh, is God as good as he says he is? In the, with the war in Ukraine, this is the first, guys, okay. Sarah and I just had this conversation last night. I do think we need to be informed about what goes on 
in South America, in Africa, in Russia, and Europe. Okay? There is something called being informed of what's going on. But this is the first time ever that we're watching a war unfold on social media. So all those things that we learned during the pandemic, during lockdown about, hey, take a break from your phone. Don't doom scroll is of the utmost importance right now. Okay? Because you can get inundated with scarcity and war and poverty and all those things. And, and again, we need to not dull our hearts and avert our eyes from it, but becoming inundated with it so that we're just constantly anxious and depressed and feeling powerless is not God's best for us. There, there is a time to shut it off and to seek refuge in God's word instead of that. Okay? I, would, I would recommend that we start in the Bible and that we end in the Bible. Anytime you're taking information like that in, it's a lot to process. And at no point in human history have we all had it on our phone scrolling in front of us. So guys, take care of yourselves, please. Because behind the me- some of the messaging are the questions of, is God as good as he says he is? In light of war and famine. And if you inundate yourself with messages and videos and pictures and never wash your heart with the truth of who God is, in light of all the problems in our world, then that is going to deform us when God is meaning to transform and to form us in the way of Jesus. Okay? So the second question, the first question, is God as good as he says he is? The second question is, will God be good towards me? That's always the second question. Okay, if I can say that, yes, God is good, all the time God is good, and I can just get it out of my mouth, I believe it in my head, the second question is always, but will that goodness show up in my life? Will I experience the goodness, the love, the kindness of God? I see other people experiencing it. I see everybody else's Instagram feeds, and they're having the time of their life in Orlando, Florida, in 80-degree weather. Thank you very much. <laughs> but what about me? What about Kansas? What about... 30 degree weather, like where's the goodness of God? So I can't promise that he'll show up and give comfort and relief in every moment that you want it and that you need it. But the promise of Jesus is that his goodness means that he will show up in the midst of whatever you're going through and walk with you through it. That is the meaning of the cross, that God did not stay afar off and just kind of wash all of our sin away from afar, but Jesus stepped into the world stage and he took upon himself on the cross all the disease, all the guilt, all the shame, all the sin, and he came near and he walked with us right in the midst of this human experience. So yes, God is good, and yes, God will be good, but it won't always happen the way that you expect it, and it won't always happen on your timeline but his promise is that he will be near, okay? So thirdly, we want to practice moments of generosity, to, be, to have a heart shaped uh, uh, in the way of health, in the way of Jesus, practicing moments, finding moments where we can practice generosity with each other. Uh, Smith again says, you are what you love. If you are what you love, and if love is a virtue, then love is a habit, This means that our most fundamental orientation to the world, the longings and desires that orient us towards some version of the good life, is shaped and configured by imitation and practice. 
This has important implications for how we approach Christian formation and discipleship. We learn to love then not primarily by acquiring information about what we should love, but rather through practices that form the habits of how we should love. So finding everyday moments to practice generosity, to serve, to maybe bless and give someone else. This is why I'm a, I'm a huge proponent. In this day and age, one of the questions is what meaning does church have for me? And, and specifically people wonder, and, and I know I'm literally preaching to the choir here, so you just have to like, I know some of this is going on in the back of our minds. Why do I actually show up to in-person church service? If you're online, we love you, we miss you, we hope to see you soon, okay? But why do I show up in person? Why? And, and setting aside the last two years of pandemic and having been locked down and, and immunocompromised and things like that, that, that's a different conversation connected to this. But why do we practice the in-person things that we do? It's because it forms us. What we do regularly forms us. This is why I'm a big fan of giving um, not necessarily big chunks of money, although we'll take it in any way you want to give that to us uh, and receive that with joy and gladness. But I'm a big fan of regular giving. Because even, even if you write old school checks, there, there are people that write old school checks here. And you're not necessarily old school, but you just have, have found out there is something in the blessing of others in writing that out. And you might, others might say, well, you're just kind of stuck in writing that thing. No, there is, there is a formative process. But even if you give digitally, there's a formative process of entering your information and clicking send or submit or whatever it is that you, you click there. There is something, and yes, sporadic is better than nothing, sporadic giving, but regular commitment to giving and following through on what you said you're going to do will actually form you. Ask any parent of any teen why they want their kids to take out the trash. It's because I want you to be an adult that knows how to take out the trash. <laughs> so go take out the trash, right? We know there's, there's something in the repetition that forms us and makes us fully, you know, more adult and human and mature. And it applies here in the way of Jesus too. That's why we meet in person. That's why we, we say every week, we, w- we would love for you to partner with us on our mission to form community in the way of Jesus. And we make an offer and an invitation to receive gifts, tithes, and donations every week because it's formative to us. And we need, because Jesus talked about it one out of, let's just say 10 times, it's regular. It's regular. It's regular that forms us, okay? So now I'm gonna, I'm gonna wind down here. Um, worship team, why don't you come on up? Um, I know that there are probably objections. There are probably some skepticism with with hearing about money and possessions in church. That's okay. I expect there to be. I don't have a good sermon to help convince you. Again, what I have is come back next week. Come back and listen as we continue to teach on this and see if your heart could be realigned. If, If it's misaligned, I'm not even judging. I'm not even, I'm definitely not condemning. But just see if you've been maybe hurt by church or hurt by some authority figure, or you've seen scandals in the past, and you're like, I don't know that I trust you guys. Nothing personal, I just don't trust church. I get it. Just come back and see if we can maybe establish some rapport, and we could just invite you into the way of Jesus and partner with us on our mission to do just that. To wind this down, what I would love to give you is, again, a connection to your body, and how you may be processing this. So we're gonna do an exercise, right? We don't get a lot of exercise in church, that's okay. 
but why don't you stand with me and we're gonna do something. We're gonna do a practice. So what I want you to do, if you're at home, just get comfortable. You can stand if you want to or lean forward in your, on your couch or in, by your table or whatever. I want you to put your hands out and I want you to close your fists. I want you to do it really tight. Like as tight as you can. Like if your phone was about to fall off a cliff or something, like that tight, right? Like a little tighter, just a little longer. Now let it go. Just open up your hand. What does that feel like? It feels like relief, doesn't it? What I want, it, want you to do this week, here, here's your homework, here's your next step. I want you to, to, to realize every time that, that you become anxious or stressed or your affection, your, your heart attention goes elsewhere, that is usually because our heart is constricting, our heart is closing, our heart is trying to hang on to something. And so your homework this week is in those moments, just pay attention to yourself. Don't judge, don't condemn yourself, but just posture your heart and just make a choice to open. Instead of anxiety, I invite God's peace in. Instead of seeing scarcity, I see God's abundance. Instead of God's distance, I ask for his nearness. So all throughout the week, open up your heart by posturing and opening up your hand. You, you might just do this if you're at a meeting, just do it under the table, do it in a, a, behind your back, whatever it is. But there's just something that as we connect our body to what our heart is trying to do, we're trying to posture, there's a, there's a deeper connection that's forged, okay? Could you do that this week? Yes. Just pay attention to yourself, okay? So let me pray for you. The worship team is gonna lead us in, in uh, a bit more worship. So let me pray. So Father, thank you for this church. I thank you for your abundance and your generosity that already flows through this church community. God, in no way are you condemning any of us for what we've done in the past. Everything that's been brought to you, everything that's been, that we've invited you to realign, we, we all know we're in process, God. And so we receive your forgiveness we receive your, your guidance and your realignment. So this week, would you posture our hearts more towards you in whatever way that that is? It could be a first step towards Jesus. It could be the, the hundredth realignment of aligning our possessions and our money towards you. Whatever that is, God, we receive your invitation and we take that step. So would you give us grace to open our hearts to your spirit, to your presence, God? God, we want to be used by you. We want to see your kingdom come on earth in the Manhattan area as it is in heaven. And so, God, we ask that you would use us to do that. Use our hearts, our money, our possessions to be a blessing to other people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.